Good morning, everyone. I'm so glad you're with us today. We're starting a new series today, and the title of it is simply this, I didn't catch your name. There are a number of stories in the Bible that involve people of great faith, people who had to trust the Lord. God uh, reached out to them and performed mighty miracles to them, and we don't know their name. Today, you're going to meet one of these people, a Roman centurion. He was a man of great faith, but the biblical record doesn't record what his name was. And uh, so we don't need to know their name as much as we need to know what God did in their lives. And so there's a lot of principles to be learned here. And so in each of these stories, you're going to find that. And it always gives me a lot of comfort that even if their names aren't listed, that God still reached out to them. I mean, it's a great comfort to me that God reaches out to ordinary people. And some people whose names aren't recorded for us were people of extraordinary faith. And so if it's good news to you this morning that God works in the lives of ordinary folks, would you say amen? Because we're a bunch of ordinary folks when I look around this room, okay? I hope you take that as a compliment. We're ordinary people here, and, but God knows who we are, and God knows our needs. And today you're going to find out how a man of great faith uh, received a miracle because he trusted Jesus. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for the stories that we're going to cover in this series, just of people, we don't know their names, but we know what you did in their lives. And Father, it's a reminder to us that you're working all the time in ways that we can't even imagine. And so God, today I pray that you'd speak and move me out of the way. You'd remind us, Lord, of how important faith is, how important it is to trust you and really take you at your word. If you'd like to grow in your faith today, if you'd like to be strengthened in your trust in God today, just before I say anything, would you just pray silently right where you are and say, God, I really would like to be strengthened in my faith. Please teach me something I need to hear today. Father, we just give this time to you. Speak to us now. Increase our faith in Jesus. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Well, one day when Jesus was uh, doing ministry, he was approached by some people who asked him to do a miracle on the behalf of a Roman centurion. That's point one on your outline inside your bulletin, that Jesus was amazed by the great faith of a Roman centurion. Now, you need to know that Israel was occupied at the time uh, by the Roman government. And in general, Israelites at the time and the Romans didn't get along. And so this is an extraordinary story. Here's what Luke records for us. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. And when the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said, for he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. This man was a centurion, an officer in charge of 100 other men. He would have had not only authority, but a pretty good salary. And that's why he was able to um, build a synagogue, a place for the Jewish community to meet. And so Jesus went with them. But before they arrived at the house of the centurion, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I'm not worthy of such an honor. I'm not even worthy to come and meet with you. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I'm under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. If I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. 
And turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. If we could go back one slide over here on this. When Jesus heard what the centurion said, he was amazed. And we don't know his name, but this man had great faith. Jesus himself was amazed. He finally found somebody who trusted him, who believed in him. But surprise of all surprises, it wasn't people like the priests and the experts in the religious law, people who'd grown up hearing the stories of Daniel and Moses. Mm -mm. This was a Roman. Probably didn't know any of those stories, but he'd heard about Jesus and he trusted him. He had faith in him. What do I mean by faith? Well, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. In fact, would you read that verse out loud with me, please? Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. This is so central to our faith. That Jesus forgives our sins, we accept by faith. That he paid that penalty in full on the cross, we accept by faith. That he will take us home to heaven when we die because we've placed our lives in his hands, our souls in his hands. That's all accepted by faith. And it's the assurance that we, what we hope for is actually true. Now, in order for Jesus to be amazed, he saw this in a Roman centurion. He was able to do miracles. It's just that people didn't believe in him. And here was a guy who knew comparatively hardly anything about God, but he had faith. And what little he did know, he trusted in the Lord. Three things that are important for us to recognize here. First of all, the centurion had faith in Jesus' authority. Remember, he said, hey, you don't need to even come to my house. I'm one under authority. So when my superior officers say, come, I come. And I'm one also in authority. And when I tell the people under me to go, they go. And I know from what I've heard that you are the son of God, that you have all authority. So you just tell the disease to go, and it has to go. Matthew 20, 18, Jesus made sure his disciples knew this before he ascended into heaven. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I've been given all authority, and, when, and I'm giving you authority to go make disciples in my name. If it's great news to you this morning that we worship the King of Kings who has all authority in heaven and on earth, then would you say amen? amen? But our faith is in one who has all authority, not just some random person. Point B, the centurion also had faith in Jesus' power. Not only did he have the authority to get things done, he had the power to get it done. There are people in positions of authority, and sometimes you go to them and say, can you help me? And they go, ah, I really can't get that done. I mean, I'd like to help you, but I just can't. Well, they have the position, but they don't have the power. Well, Jesus not only has all authority, he has all power. His disciples had to learn this themselves. In Mark 4, we read an account of where Jesus had been heavily involved in ministry all day and was exhausted and 
asked his disciples to take him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee by boat. And while they were traveling, he fell asleep in the back of the boat, and a terrible storm came up that was swamping the boat. This is where we're jumping into it in Mark 4, verse 38. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the water, Silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped. And there was a great calm. And then he asked them, Why were you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. I mean, sooner or later, you and I are going to have to come to terms with the fact that when we worship Jesus, we are worshiping the Son of God, the creator God of the entire universe. He has authority over all things, and he has all power. The question is, do we really even believe any of this? The centurion did, and that's why Jesus was amazed. Because there were lots of people who heard him teach many times, they even witnessed him do many miracles, and they still didn't believe in him. A number of years ago, I was doing a wedding out at Jasmine Hill. It was an outdoor wedding. It was about this time of year in June. And if anybody's ever been to an outdoor wedding in June in Alabama, you know you have no idea what the weather will be like. Okay? So sure enough, on the day when the wedding came, uh, just like a half hour before the service was going to start, the tornado sirens went off. And so everybody who was there at the wedding, we ran into the building that's there at Jasmine Hill Gardens and we hunkered down in there, and sure enough, a storm came, strong winds, lots of rain, pouring down rain. And after it had passed, in a few minutes, we walked outside, and all the chairs had been tossed around. All the flowers were all ripped to shreds. It was a big mess. Everything was soaking wet. The power was out inside the building, too. We couldn't go outside, so we are going to have to have the wedding inside. And fortunately, there was a gift shop, and we said, well, we're going to do a candlelight wedding. So we went and bought all the candles they had. <laughs> and we set them up around, and we we're going to have a candlelight wedding. But the problem was when the storm passed, the sun came back out, no air conditioning in the building. It got hot in a hurry, all these people in there. And the cake was starting to melt, and the bride was starting to cry. And so I grabbed the groom and all the groomsmen and said, we're going to go outside, and we're going to pray this power comes back on. So at least we got air conditioning. So we went outside, and we circled up, me and all the groomsmen, and we prayed, and we prayed that God would turn the power back on so we could have some air conditioning and get on this wedding because it's been planned for a long time, and we needed his help here. Would you please hear our prayer? And we prayed for a while, and after we finished praying, about three minutes later, the power came on. And a couple of groomsmen came up to me and said, Did you do that? <laughs> I went, Yes, I work for the power company. Yes. <laughs> That's, ministry is just my day job. I, I work for the power company. And I, and I said, no, I didn't do it. They said, well, how did that happen? I said, we prayed to God that he would turn the power on, and he answered our prayer. And so I circled him up, and I said, now we're going to say thank you. But it was a thunderclap revelation because prayer, for some of them at least, had just been stuff you do, you say it, you don't really expect God to answer anything. I mean, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for food by his hands, we all have to give us order to the bread, amen. There we go. And sometimes we pray that way, and it's just this custom. But I don't really expect him to do anything. Can you put that Hebrews 
11, one verse back up, please. Um, no, there we go, there we go. Hebrews 11, one. So can we read this one more time, please? Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Jesus marveled at the centurion's faith. He didn't know all the stories, but he did know Jesus could heal. So he asked these leaders of the Jewish delegation, he said, look, will you go speak to this man? I don't deserve to have him come to my house. That's point C, by the way. The centurion humbly asked Jesus to help him. He said, I don't deserve this. I didn't earn this. I can't pay for it. I'm just asking for help. Would you go ask on my behalf? And then when Jesus was coming, he goes, you don't even have to bother to come here. You know, God loves it when we pray that way, just asking him for help. Listen to James 4, 6. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This is undeserved kindness. So if you think, well, I, I can't go to the Lord. I'm too much of a sinner. Well, this guy was a Roman. He wasn't Jewish. He, wasn't, uh, he hadn't followed any of the Jewish laws. He didn't know much about anything. He was just a man of faith. That's why these stories are in there. We don't even know his name. Do know he trusted Jesus, and Jesus goes, where's this been? Where's this been? Finally, somebody who just takes me in my word and trusts me. So if you've been saying, I can't ask God for a favor. I can't ask God for help. I'm too much of a sinner. Well, take a lesson from the Roman centurion. I know my, my servant is sick. I know Jesus can heal. He's got all authority and all power. And from what I understand, he's really, really kind. Can you help me? Jesus loves people of faith. He was amazed. Wouldn't that be great if that was said about you and me? People were amazed at how much faith we had. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus was amazed? I think that was written on your tombstone. Jesus was amazed at his faith. That would be a good epitaph. That's his epitaph. So here's a life application for you and me. God wants us to be people like the centurion. He wants us to live by faith. But living by faith means humbly committing everything we do to Almighty God. I mean, whether it's an illness, whether it's anything. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, when Paul is talking about heaven and a new body there, he says, look, we live by faith and not by sight. We know this will happen by faith. We can't see it with our physical eyes. It's okay. We know it's true anyway. It's going to actually happen by faith. In the Old Testament, in Proverbs 16, 3, it says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. I mean, this is an act of faith. Commit to the Lord whatever you do. A number of years ago, Tim Keller uh, delivered a message where he talked about this verse, and it was so interesting. He said, you know, when you and I read this verse, we think what it means, we know what it means right off, that commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. We think it means commit your plans to the Lord, and then you'll get what you want. 
He said, no, that's not what it means at all. It means just the opposite. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and then your plans will succeed. It's just completely backwards from the way we like to have things. We like to have things. Lord, I'll, I'll give you my plans, but I need to know what you're going to do here before I go any further. Last week, I um, brought out this hand truck with some boxes on it. So these are different concerns that you and I would face. Finances, this is the smallest box because usually that's kind of how we feel. Anyway, um, questions about our career, questions about our spouse and our kids. We pray about these things. First of all, we pray for a spouse, and then we get a spouse, and then we really pray for our spouse, okay? Um, we pray for our kids, pray for health concerns. That's what the centurion was doing, by the way. He was praying for a health concern. But what that verse says is that we're supposed to do exactly what the centurion did, where he said, no, I'm not trying to fix this. I don't know how you're going to do this. You don't have to come to my house. You don't have to. You can just say the word, whatever you do, you have the power and the authority. And so, Lord, I'm rolling this over to you. See, commit to the Lord your plan. Commit to the Lord whatever you do. That word commit, and we talked about this last week, but I just thought it was so interesting. It's a word in Hebrew pronounced galal, which means to roll. It just means exactly this. Roll it over to him and leave it there. The reason I wanted to bring this back is last week I didn't have time to remind us that a lot of times we roll stuff over to the Lord and then we take it back when it's taking a little longer than we thought or it's not going the way we thought. That's not faith. We tend to say, well, Lord, you know, if you give me what I want, then I'll trust you with the next thing. And one says, no, just trust me. In fact, inside your outline right across the page here, there's an amazing quote by a woman named Elizabeth Elliot. She has an outstanding book entitled God's Guidance. This is what she says in the introduction. She says, the more we pay for advice, the more likely we are to listen to it. Advice from a friend, which is free, we may take or leave. Advice from a consultant, we've paid much for personally. Well, we're more likely to accept, but it's still our choice. I mean, we can take it or leave it. But the guidance of God is different. First of all, we don't come to God asking for advice, but for God's will. And that's not optional. And God's fee is the highest one of all. It costs you everything. To ask for the guidance of God requires abandonment. We no longer say, well, if I trust you, you'll give me such and such. Instead, we must say, I trust you. Give me or withhold from me whatever you choose. I mean, that's what the centurion did. Would you go ask, I don't deserve anything. And then when Jesus is coming, he said, well, you don't have to come. I, I don't care how you heal him. I know you have the authority and the power and that you're good. I just give it to you. He didn't try to buy a favor. Didn't try to tell Jesus how to do these things. Hey, you got to come wave your hand over this guy. Or... No restrictions. This is you. And Jesus was amazed. I mean, what if we did that? What if we said, Lord, I'm... I'm surrendering my career over to you. I'm not just surrendering my plans and what I think should work. Lord, I'm surrendering my plans. Now give me the job I want. It's saying, Lord, what job do you want me to have? Lord, what kind of relationships do you want me to have? Lord, my finances are completely in your control. I give them to you. And I'm leaving them there. Now, if we're going to be people like this, 
there's a note in your outline. It's real important to understand that the more we surrender to God, the more we will learn to know God's will and become people who make wise plans. I mean, this is that Proverbs 16, 3 going on. As we commit whatever we do to the Lord, we're going to get to know his voice better and better. This is what Paul was talking about in Romans 12. So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he'll find acceptable. A living and holy sacrifice. A sacrifice is something you lay down on the altar and it gets burned. You don't lay it on the altar and then reach for it again. You lay it on the altar and it stays. He says, if you and I are willing to do that, that's the kind of sacrifice that God will find acceptable. It's truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. The way our world thinks is, our world says, hey, you don't prayer, that doesn't work. You got to go make your own way. You got to make things happen. You got to look out for number one. Nobody else is. And the Bible says, no, present your request to the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. And then he'll make your plans succeed because he changes the way you think. I mean, as we commit our plans to the Lord over and over again, all of a sudden we realize, oh, he's got a whole different set of priorities. And now we have peace that, hey, God's changing my, my priorities. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Let God transform you to a new person by changing the way you think. And then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. After we roll everything over to him. You don't have to come. You just say the word, I trust you. I'm counting on your grace. Oh, I want to be like that. Well, there were other people who weren't like that. Even when Jesus was doing miracles, people said, well, if I saw him perform a miracle, well, then I'd believe. Well, that's not always the case. It's, it's not what happened. In fact, there were plenty of people who saw Jesus do miracles. They heard all about him. They could see him live and in person. And they still didn't believe. That's point two on your outline. Jesus had been amazed by the great faith of the centurion. Jesus was also amazed by the little faith of the people in his hometown. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Remember, Joseph and Mary had to flee to Egypt for a while until King Herod died, who was trying to kill the baby Jesus because he knew that the wise men had come to worship him. Well, after Herod died... Joseph and Mary moved up, not back to Bethlehem, but they moved to a town called Nazareth in northern Israel. So Jesus grew up there. And this is what happened in Mark's gospel, in Mark 6, when he went back as a preacher and a prophet and a miracle worker in his own hometown. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where'd you get all this wisdom, the power to perform such miracles? And they scoffed, ah, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. His sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. And if you'd underline, they refused to believe in him. And Jesus told them, the prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown, among his relatives and his own family. 
Because of their unbelief, Jesus couldn't do any mighty miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Remember, he'd been amazed at the belief of the centurion. Well, here were people who'd known him for 30 years. He was amazed at their unbelief. And then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. If they weren't going to believe him there, he'd go someplace where they would. Two important things to point out here. The people of Nazareth refused to believe in Jesus. They refused it. Hebrews 11.6 reminds us it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. And point B goes on, the people of Nazareth forfeited their chance to have Jesus help them because of their unbelief. They forfeited their chance for a miracle. Let me read verse verse 5 of Mark 6 again. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any mighty miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Now, don't misread that, that there was some kind of kryptonite in Nazareth. You know, in Superman, if a chunk of the planet Krypton, where he came from, if a meteorite of that landed on Earth and somebody found some, if you brought it next to him, then he didn't have superpowers anymore. He became weak like everybody else. Well, don't think there was any kryptonite in Nazareth. And then all of a sudden, Jesus lost his powers and his power to heal, or his ability to be the Son of God. That's not what it says. I mean, understand what's happening here. The reason that he was only able to heal a few sick people is those are the only people who came. I mean, it took faith to believe that this man could really heal. And the centurion had it. The people in his hometown didn't. You find the same attitude going on when Jesus approaches Jerusalem the Sunday before he's crucified. He overlooks Jerusalem and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. You won't come. Jesus went to other villages. It's like a rock star. The place is packed wherever he goes. People are fighting at a chance just to touch him. He goes to his hometown. Only a few people come to see him to be healed. And he's amazed. The Son of God is standing in their midst, able to heal, able to do amazing things, and they won't believe in him. This still happens today. That's the sin of unbelief. We don't pray. I cannot tell you how many times I meet with people. They'll have, a, they'll have a relationship problem. They'll have a career issue. They'll have a health concern. They don't know where to live. They've got a financial problem. And I'll say, well, what's God telling you in your prayers? Oh, I haven't really been praying about this. I've just been trying to figure it out. Well, let's pray about this. And they go, you think it'll do any good? I go, well, yeah, since we're praying to Almighty God who has all power, all knowledge, is really good and kind, filled with love and grace and kindness, yeah, let's pray to him. He's smarter than we are. He's stronger than we are. And he is always looking out for our best interests. I mean, do we believe? Or is prayer just window dressing? Empty words. 
This is something they were warned about. That's the last life application. We must encourage and warn each other so we don't become cynical and unbelieving. We live in a very unbelieving culture. It's pretty fashionable now, more so than ever. When I, when I was a kid, it wasn't like this. You can hear shots taken at the Bible all the time now. If you believe in the Bible, you actually believe in miracles. I mean, you must have checked your brain at the door. Nobody believes that stuff. Well, I do. I mean, the miracle that happened to Centurion, Centurion's a real guy. People in Nazareth, real people. The writer of Hebrews talks about this. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that, when, that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it's still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. There were people in that day too saying, you can't believe that stuff. You can't believe that God's really going to help you with your finances. You can't believe that God's really going to help you with your relationships, with your marriage and your kids. You can't believe that God's going to show you which path to take with your career. What are you, crazy? Mm -mm. I'm a person of faith. I trust Jesus. Paul, 2 Timothy 4.2. He's writing to Timothy. He says, Timothy, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. This is good teaching. We're supposed to be people of faith. Now look, there are tons of stories in the Bible. I want you to hear a story of someone who's going to be a part of our staff team here this summer. So um, this morning, Katie Jennings is here. And Katie, if you'd come on up, please. She is a student at uh, Mississippi College, and she is uh, studying to be a teacher. Am I right on that? Yeah, I am. I'm um, an elementary education major. Good. And what do you want to do with that one day? I would like to be an upper elementary teacher or middle school and teach in an impoverished area, inner city. Good. So uh, this summer, you're going to be an intern with us. What did you do last summer? Because you're between your sophomore and junior year, right? Right. Okay. Last summer, I worked at a Christian camp called Lake Forest Ranch. It's in Macon, Mississippi. Um, I was a counselor there for the three months of the summer. And whenever you work at a Christian camp, I did that a couple of summers when I was in college, too. For me, it was a time of real spiritual growth. Did you experience that, too? For sure. Um, I was constantly in a community of believers. And as we served together um, and grew closer to the Lord together, it just um, sparked my faith, and I grew closer to the Lord that summer for sure. Yeah, so why aren't you working there again this summer? Why'd you come yeah. here? Um, Sounds like a neat place. <laughs> yes. Um, this summer I needed to take summer classes and, um, in order to graduate on time. And I was looking for an opportunity um, to do that somewhere at an internship um, to Wait. serve students. And pick up some classes online at the and same time. And pick up some classes, right. Okay. Um, and I was praying about it and searching for this internship, and then Caleb told me about Centerpoint, and it seemed perfect for what I felt like the Lord had called me to this summer. Now, Caleb was an intern with us last year, and you knew him. Yeah, we were friends in college, yeah. Okay. But you don't know the rest of our staff, and I, I mean, you grew up in Birmingham, right? Right, I did. So, but you don't know much about uh, Prattville or the Montgomery area. Um, where are you staying? I'm staying with um, Mike and April Rogers. Did you know them? I did not know. Okay, so here's where we're going with this, okay? <laughs> this was kind of a step of faith for you, am I right? Correct, yeah. So you kind of had to wheel over all of your summer, all your ministry over to the Lord and say, 
Lord, I'm going to go to a place where I don't know any of the kids I'm going to minister. I don't know the people I'm staying with. I don't know the staff I'm with. I don't really have any experience with this church. I just know Caleb. Right. <laughs> okay. Just want to make sure. Okay. So how's it going? Um, it's been great so far. Um, a week and a half. We're good for a week and a half. <laughs> All right. Okay, go ahead. At the beginning of the <laughs> summer, I went back to Lake Forest Ranch, and I helped them train some ropes training um, for the new staff members, and I started wanting to take the box back. Um, oh, yeah, this one <laughs> might be the summer job instead of the career, right? Yes, um, and I started getting a little pouty with God about it, like, why wouldn't you let me come back to Lake Forest? I know how, what you're going to do, and more or less what it's going to look like, like how he's going to work there, um, but here it was completely unknown. I didn't know what the people would be like, um, what my job description completely would be, like what I would be doing day to day. Um, so I just kind of had to trust the Lord and roll that on to him. Yeah, so you were kind of pouty. When did you get the peace and get past the pouty yeah. stuff? Yeah, um, so I was actually praying. I was like, Lord, why are you not giving me peace about this? I prayed, and I felt like you called me to this internship, um, but it wasn't until I moved, until I got here to Prattville, and I just began to experience peace and anticipation for ways that the Lord was going to work this summer. Until you rolled it onto him and said, I'm in. Right. Okay. This is a decision that Katie's had to make. You and I are going to have decisions about other things we need to make. Are we going to roll this on to God? Or are we going to be pouty? I love that word. <laughs> I love that. Are we just going to be pouty? I mean, the centurion said, hey, look, I don't know what else to do. By the way, you talk about being all in. Think about what his reputation would be like with the other. He commanded 100 men, and there were other people at his level. What, there's no doctors in Rome? There weren't any doctors assigned to his regiment? Why are you going to some Hebrew faith healer? I mean, he had to take a chance. And Jesus said, finally, somebody trusts me. And the peace came for you when you said, I'm rolling it all on Jesus. I'm going. Mm -hmm. Okay, so how do we pray for you this summer? Um, just pray that Caleb and I are fully here, fully present, and that we have every opportunity to minister to and love these students here at Centerpoint. Good. I'm going to pray for that, but I'm going to pray for all of us that we'll surrender whatever it is God wants us to surrender. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for Katie. And Lord, as I place my hand on her shoulder, Lord, I pray that you will place your hand on her entire summer. She had to take a real step of faith here. New people, new church, new ministry, stepping way out there. But Lord, this is where you opened the door. This is where you called her. And so Lord, I pray that you will bless the relationships that she and Caleb have, and it will be wonderful. Father, I pray now for everybody else here in the sound of my voice. Lord, I pray that we'll surrender our biggest concerns to you and leave them there. Lord, I love the faith of the centurion. You don't have to come to my house. You can stay right where you are. I trust you. I trust you. In a moment of silence right now, we pray at the beginning that God would strengthen your faith. Is there something you need to surrender to the Lord? A big worry. You keep pulling it back and getting pouty. Is there something you've been getting pouty about?
Would you surrender that to Jesus right now and say, Lord, I'm rolling it over to you. Lord, I thank you for the faith of Centurion. I don't want to be like the people of Nazareth. I trust you, Lord. We pray these things now in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks so much, Katie. Uh, Katie and Caleb will be up here and just with me. And Caleb, you'd stand up too.